0: Brian and Carrie dated all through their junior high and senior high school years. They used to say, we grew up together. Halfway through college, they they learned she was expecting, so they pressed pause on school and they quickly got married. And things were good. Fast forward five and a half years, she's had two more babies. And he's finished school and he's found a career that he loves. But he's gone a lot, and they talk very little these days. Every time he's around, she asks him, are we cool? And more and more, he just rolls his eyes and he says, yeah, we're fine. He he doesn't let on that lately he's feeling like she's holding him back. And as they catch up on their shows and stare at their respective screens, inside she's wondering how is it the two people who grew up together can feel so far apart from each other? Tim and Julie always thought of themselves as a really strong couple. And they'd proven it by navigating through some tough times, like when, when he was out of work and, and when Julie suffered that miscarriage. But now, even after all of that, he's sleeping at a friend's house and saying that he's done. A few days earlier, Julie had, had shared something, something she'd been keeping from him. Before they were married, but while they were still engaged, she'd cheated. Not just once. And though she was deeply sorry, he couldn't shake the thought that somehow this undid everything. I feel like I don't know you, he said, and I have to figure out if I want to. Now in many ways, those two scenarios are are different. In one, you've got a husband and wife who through work and kids are growing apart. And in the other, you've got a once rock solid couple shaken to their core by the confession of a sin. And yet despite their differences, the core issue for both of those couples is actually the same. Two people who are supposed to feel as though they're one now feel like there is very little binding them together. And though their situations might sound extreme, that issue, two people who are supposed to be one feeling as though there's nothing binding them together, is very common. And for both of those hypothetical couples, if they're to have a shot at keeping their wedding vows, they will need to break another vow. And that's what this series called I Don't is all about, looking at the old, broken, and bad vows we make to ourselves that we bring into important relationships that we need to identify and reject in order to thrive in these important relationships. They'll need to break a promise that we as sinful humans make to ourselves in order to keep their wedding vows They'll need to fight the urge and reject the impulse that says, it's okay for me to question my commitments and to be governed by the emotions I'm feeling right now. That's the vow we need to break in order for our relationships to thrive. Jump with me to Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Uh, Here, Jesus is in yet another one of those moments where he's being confronted by the religious establishment who, because they're threatened by his following, keep throwing him theological curveballs, hoping he'll trip up and he will undo his own influence. And in this particular moment, the the Pharisees, they ask Jesus to weigh in on something controversial, uh, to weigh in on marriage, specifically divorce. Listen to this. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. If these words sound familiar, it's because Jesus is quoting the book of Genesis where God the Father creates marriage. And Jesus reminds the crowd that marriage is about more than dresses and tuxedos or doing the electric slide at the reception. Now, when a man and woman get married, God says they cease being two separate people, and in his eyes, they become one flesh, which is a strange phrase. When you hear it, most people instantly think of one thing. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, when I do premarital counseling, we'll often read these words, and I'll ask the couple, so, so what does it mean to be one flesh? And the guy is typically the first to answer. He's like, oh, 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 I know what it means. I know what it means. I know what it means. It means, you know, you know. And yes, it does. It means that, but that's just part of it. Jesus is reminding us with these words that marriage is about a mysterious connection, a deep dependence, and intimate sharing. At the heart of marriage is one flesh, a foundational, mysterious oneness that is created by God. It's it's a connection, a unity that is consummated and physicalized in sex, for sure, but is also lived out as couples do things like share a home, share a faith, share their struggles, share finances. Whenever a husband and wife share their secrets without fear of rejection, that's one flesh, that's oneness. When they lean on each other for emotional support in their biggest of struggles, that's one flesh. That's oneness. When they share deodorant or carry on a conversation while the other person goes to the bathroom, that's, that's gross. That's what that is. It's, it's two people, as Jesus says in verse 5, holding fast to each other, wrapping their bodies, their hearts, their minds, their lives around each other, so tight that they can enjoy each other, help each other, understand each other in a way that can be matched by no other. Now, where marriages get in trouble is when this mysterious connection, this life of dependency, begins to erode. You see, from the moment a marriage begins, the self-centered rebellion that lives inside of every husband and every wife and the demanding forces of our broken world they begin attacking the oneness that binds them together and it seeks to create a space between these two people. And this is why Jesus adds on to the words of his father from Genesis saying this in verse six. Listen to this. Jesus says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's Jesus's addition. We talked about this space that can emerge between husbands and wives in week one. And if you missed that, I want you to go back and watch that sermon. Listen to that, because it's very important. So important that it bears repeating today. I want you to imagine a man and a woman standing side by side. And and their arms are locked together. And that's meant to be a picture of marriage. But then in comes kids. And kids are a gift, but if you're not careful, rather than, rather than bring you together, they can push you apart. Maybe one of you obsesses a little more than you should over the kids, and you lose focus on your mate. Maybe that's what happens. And then in comes your careers. And if you're not careful, you'll have this, this whole world that your spouse is not aware of and things you're dealing with that they never know of. And then, then you throw in a hidden sin or two. Say some flirty text with a coworker, or some spending on the side that you're not telling your husband or your wife about. And if you keep these things from each other rather than confess it, it, it's just yet another part of your life that's not being shared with the other person. And what's it do? It all creates space. Kids create a space. Work creates a space. Sin creates a space. And if that's the case, then then what do you think having an affair does? What do you think abuse does? I mean, the two of you can be like this, but if, but if you get physical with some former classmate you reconnect with on Facebook, or, or if in a fit of anger, you grab her arm and you call her a name, man, you can be like this, but you're instantly miles apart. And when you're miles apart, you're easy to break. When you're miles apart, you're weak under pressure. When you're miles apart, you, you, can, you can be toppled quickly and you can crumble. When you're miles apart, you got more problems waiting to happen. Uh, pivot with me for a moment to the idea of unfaithfulness. When I use that word, most people think of having an affair. But I think it's more helpful to define it like this. To be unfaithful in in an important relationship like marriage is to entertain anything that creates that space. Uh, To keep something in my life, be it an activity, an attitude, or an unconfessed sin that pushes us apart. And to do nothing about it, that's unfaithful to entertain and to keep and to do nothing about something that that pushes us apart and allows me to be one with other things in a way in which I should really only be one with my partner, that's unfaithfulness. It's unfaithful because it puts the relationship at risk and it gives to something else that which first belongs to your spouse. Pause right there. I have a couple questions for you. If you're single and you are searching a mate. Uh, I want you to wrestle with this question. Once you find that potential spouse, what what struggle in your life today, or say sin from your past, or or significant part of your story in general, will you need to be straightforward with? Will you need to talk about from the get go, so that there is truly no space between the two of you? Have you ever thought about that? Likewise. What are you one with in your life right now that you'll have to reprioritize in order to lean fully on your future spouse? Maybe it's a career that you're able to give every second to right now, or parents that you're really close to and deeply enmeshed with right now. But in order to be one with your future spouse, you're going to have to rearrange some things. To my married friends, how one are you feeling with your mate today? Do you feel as though you're side by side? Honest with each other, trying to meet each other's deepest needs, in, in good, consistent communication with each other. To help you think about this, I want you to consider four things that tend to pull couples apart. And I want to jot these down and have a conversation over dinner about them later. The four things are this unshared time, unconfessed sin, unspoken needs, and an unused bed. I'm just being honest about that last one. Uh, I've got verses for it and everything. When any of those things become a constant for you as a couple, someone in the relationship has to speak up because it means you're being pulled apart. Now, now here's the thing. On a certain level, some of this is unavoidable. To be married is to, is to fight to stay married. <laughs> you know, the, the, the pulling apart is... is is kind of inevitable, at least least the temptation for it. And and space, at times, it it will emerge, it it will happen. Uh, The the faithful marriage is not one that avoids the things that could divide them. No, The the faithful marriage is the one that proactively pounces on the things that are trying to divide them. It's, it's, It's a mature realization that, look, your emotions in marriage go up and down, back and forth, and they are important, but they're fickle. They will come and they will go. There will be days where you're in love with your spouse, but you do not at all like your spouse. And don't let that, uh, that emotion of not liking them drive the train for too long. We can't elevate our emotions above the actual promises we've made, lest they undermine the commitments we've made. Instead, what we should do is we should make a new vow to relentlessly pursue the restoration Of one flesh the restoration of oneness how do you do that by by talking about the things that are pulling at the two of you by confessing the things that are getting in the way of the two of you by making changes to guard the connection between the two of you why do you think something as simple as meaningful conversation over dinner or or a date night every couple of weeks is so critical it's because even if you have a great marriage Even if you're you're feeling one with your spouse, most every day's work and kids have you spending much of your life apart from that spouse, which means that at the end of every day, there's this this small space of unshared experiences, unshared emotions, and and unshared decisions that you've had to make that that create a little bit of space between the two of you. And and you're either going to leave it that way or through time together and conversation together and intimate moments together, saying prayers together, you, you close that gap. Every day. At the end of every day, there's a little bit of space. Close that space every single day. What are you doing to close the space? Relentlessly restore the oneness. And and when you do that, when you seek to do that, you will be mimicking, you will be imitating what God in Christ does for you. You'll be mimicking the gospel. You see, mankind was meant to be in connection and oneness with God, and then, then sin comes in and rips humanity from that oneness, and now we're born into this world where there's this massive space between our brokenness and God's beauty. But Jesus Christ was, was deeply dissatisfied, to say the least, with that separation between us and the Father. And so he comes to this world, and through his death on the cross, he pushes. He pushes the lust, the greed, the self-obsession that separates us from the Father. He pushes all of it out of the way through his death on the cross. And now through Christ, the connection is restored. And it's not just a one-time thing. No, every time you feel like your sins have created a space between you and the Father, Jesus Christ calls you back and he says, oh sinner, come home. I know that you are broken. I know that you are bad, but confess it to me and know that through my cross I have restored your connection. And you, believer in Jesus, having received such relentless restoration, we are to mimic it with one another. Now you might be thinking, Matt, I get what you're saying about oneness, but, but what about when the gap is just, just too far? Is there ever a time when it's okay rather than restore the oneness to just, to break those commitments and end it? Yes. Sometimes, sometimes I would say that, that the oneness has been so harmed that it simply can't, or in some cases should not, be restored. But I say that with caution because I know that some will hear that as an excuse to just throw in the towel. When they they first need to fight for it, jump back to Jesus. Listen to what he says. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So the Pharisees ask, look, if we're supposed to be one, then why did Moses ever allow for divorce? And Jesus says two things. He says, first, Moses allowed for divorce because sometimes our hearts get hardened by sin. And and you can't go backward when it's irreparably hardened by sin. And that still happens today. A heart gets hardened. Uh, It it can't pump the blood that it takes to keep the thing alive. It can't do the things. It can't do the things that it takes to keep a relationship alive. And so the relationship has to end because it's already dead. But the problem is that we abuse that. It, It was common in Jesus's day for a guy to get bored with his wife and leave her. To leave her poor and in poverty so he could go find something more exciting. And that still happens today. And by asking this question this way, those Pharisees were trying to see if Jesus was cool with that kind of thing. Which is why Jesus says, look, the only way your conscience can be totally clear for you to leave your spouse is if she's cheated on you. Otherwise, I know what you're up to. You're just looking to find something new and you're the one who's sinning. Now, now please hear me. Jesus is not saying that every divorce apart from adultery is somehow a sin. No, life is not that black and white. Jesus' goal is to make us very wary of pursuing divorce as the answer apart from extreme cases, where the oneness has been ravaged beyond repair by things like adultery or abuse or abandonment. Otherwise, we should be extremely hesitant to pull apart what God has brought together, to say the least. It may be in the end, sadly necessary, but it should only come after a process of restoration has been relentlessly pursued. Now, maybe you're divorced and you're wondering, well, Matt, did I sin by leaving him? Am I at fault for how it ended? Did I sin because I should have done more? I I can't answer that. But here's what I do know. I know that you are loved. You, you are loved. You are loved and cherished by God and you are covered in the mercy that flows from Jesus. And here's what I would do if if I were you. If, If I felt like I sinned, Uh, If I was loaded with guilt, I would just confess it. Just confess it to God. Martin Luther used to say, here's how you know if you need forgiveness. Reach inside your shirt, and if you feel a heartbeat, repent. Ask for forgiveness for whatever went wrong. Make restitution with whoever you might have hurt, and know that because of Jesus Christ, your marriage may be over, but you are one with your God, and that relationship will never dissolve, and then move forward with peace. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you're, you're married and you're just in one of those, those funks where you feel far from each other. And you're starting to wonder just a little bit, is, is this the way it's always going to be? I'm feeling bored. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling forgotten. I feel like I deserve something better. And if you're there, when you get there, remember this. I know it's hard, but fight for your marriage. Pursue your spouse. Call out the issues and then seek to repair it. But keep in mind that, that repairing it, repairing oneness will require a sacrifice. It, it, it just always does. Repairing, restoring oneness always requires a sacrifice and it will require a sacrifice from you. Again, we see this demonstrated first for us in Jesus Christ. Look with me at 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. John says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God the Father saw the space between us and him, created by our sins. He noticed the problem, and and out of love, he went first. Out of love, he sacrificed something of himself in order to make things right with us. In the same way, if you notice a space between you and your spouse, you may have to make a significant sacrifice in order to make it go away, in order to make it better, in order for it to have a shot. It may be something simple like just sacrificing some of your me time every night to have some conversation of substance with her. It might be something bigger like sacrificing your pride and going to talk to the counselor that she's been seeing and that she's been begging you to join her at. It might be sacrificing your secrecy and confessing the sin that you've been holding in your heart and hiding from him. It could be that you need to sacrifice your desire to be right and finally ask for forgiveness. It may mean taking a long, hard look at your career and the travel it requires, the toll it's taking, and saying being one with her matters more. It always requires a sacrifice. And the day you're unwilling to make it, the day you're unwilling to even entertain it, that may very well be the day that your heart has become hard. Fight against that. Look, my friends, God has been faithful to you. He has let nothing stand between the two of you. Through the call of the gospel, he relentlessly bridges that gap and he keeps you close. That's what a faithful God does. And that's also what a faithful friend, a faithful spouse, a faithful relationship looks like. Do not let the world pull apart what he has brought together. Time and again, I've sat with, with men and women who've decided to leave their spouses, sometimes for heartbreaking but understandable reasons. Other times, for this reason, they'll say to me, I fell out of love to which I always reply, I'm not so sure about that. I think you just got satisfied with the space that grew between you. That's what happened. A space grew between you, and you filled it up with a commitment to your fickle feelings, and you questioned the vows that you made on that wedding day, and you became comfortable with that. But it doesn't have to be that way you can still break that old vow that says, I can question my commitments and be governed by these emotions right now that say my marriage doesn't mean anything. You can can reject that old vow so that you can be faithful to the important ones. If a space exists between you, squash it. Repair the oneness, and when it requires a sacrifice, make it. Remember all that God has given to you and whatever it is, whatever you've got to let go of so the two of you can be back together, whatever you've got to let go of in order to be right with them, let go of it. Let go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the strength to keep our commitments, to protect The connection between husband and wife, and we lift up to you every important relationship that in its own way is founded upon oneness and closeness, and in its own way is threatened by selfishness and space between us. When a sacrifice is required to repair the oneness, lead us to that sacrifice and help us to make it. We pray that you would give us a heart that relentlessly pursues the protection of these important relationships. And when we lack inspiration, when we fail in the effort, put Jesus before our eyes so that we might be forgiven once again and inspired to move forward. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.